1 Samuel chapter 16 is where you should be in your Bible. Last week we kicked off our series called Sticks and Stones, um, and we looked at one word primarily, and that word is anointed. We discovered what, what anointing means. In fact, in that message, we discovered that I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. Everybody say that with me. Say, I'm anointed to accomplish my assignment. You are anointed to accomplish your assignment. In other words, God's anointing, we discovered, is God's favor. It uh, means God's, God's going to make things happen for you. God's going to increase your abilities. God's going to do something for you, which is awesome, but it also comes with his responsibility. Uh, God does not anoint us uh, to chill. God anoints us to go forth and to conquer, to go forth and spread his kingdom, to take Jesus to the world, to, to do something. Uh, so it comes with favor and with responsibility. But we are anointed to accomplish our assignment. Uh, we saw last week how uh, Samuel was sent to anoint King David. Uh, to, to declare David as the next king. He wasn't a king at that point. He was a shepherd boy. He was overlooked. If you weren't here, highly recommend checking out the podcast uh, at citychurchob.com, uh, or you can go to iTunes and find it there as well. Uh, but we said that we'd be studying this story, the, the events of David's life leading up to and including uh, his battle with the famous giant Goliath, this, this epic story. We're going to be studying it for five weeks, and in it we're going to discover five keys to victory, five keys to, to winning the battles that we constantly seem to lose, five keys to making our resolutions more than words. Um, obviously, most of us know uh, that Goliath goes down in this story. Spoiler alert, David wins, right? Like it's the tortoise and the hare. It's the classic story where the underdog triumphs over the favorite. Um, but just as we brought fresh eyes last month to the nativity story, I'm challenging you to bring some fresh eyes to this story. You've probably heard this your entire life. You probably feel like, well, I know all about David. I know all about Goliath. But I believe, hopefully, last week you already started to discover there's more to this story than perhaps you have seen before. So we're going to allow God to speak to us even in this very familiar section of scripture. So we're going to take these five keys one by one, and we're t bringing one word really to define each of these keys. Uh, last week we discovered all about anointing. Um, so we're going to build off of each of these words, and we're going to put a sentence together in first person so that you can preach this sermon to yourself, because you're not probably going to need it this morning. Uh, the, what we're going to talk about today is probably not going to go in, into progress and into action in your life before you leave this building. But it is going to be some stuff that, that you're go, if you allow it, the Holy Spirit's going to deposit in you. He's going to be able to stir up within you and begin to put into action as you go forward. Most of the time, the enemy's greatest attacks don't happen to you while you're at church. Now, now don't get me wrong. Sometimes Christians fight and there's division, and that's definitely a great way that the enemy attacks us. But most of the greatest battles we fight won't be sitting in this chair. Most of the greatest battles you fight will be at work. They'll be at home. They'll be uh, on Goodman Road, right? They'll be somewhere out in the community, out doing daily life. That's where your greatest fights are going to come. So I'm putting this in first person so you can speak this over yourself this week, this month, this year, so you can get it down into you, so you can begin to believe it. So first of all, I am anointed to accomplish my assignment. Last week, our word was anointed. Today, part two, we're going to look at a different word. We're going to look at abilities, when you look at ability, you can write that down, or, or if you prefer, you can write down gifting. Write down gifting. Do you know that you have giftings? 
you know that God has placed something in you that he didn't put in the person behind you or the person beside you or the person on stage? God placed something in you. He gave you a gift. He gave you a gift. And, and God expects us to grow in our gifts or to put it in first person so you can speak it over yourself. God expects me to grow in my gifts. Say that to the person next to you. God expects me to grow in my gifts. See, God doesn't give you gifts that are fully developed. I loved the, the story that Matt just shared for our offering time. Uh, he was given a gift of $100. I've never gotten $100 and been like, that's it? Like, I've never gotten $100 and been disappointed, right? Like, anytime anybody's ever given me a bin, I'm excited. I'm pumped up. I, I'm fired up for that gift of $100. It's a good thing. But he didn't give Matt $100 for him to go out uh, and, and sit on it gave him $100 for a purpose, and he was expecting something. He wanted Matt to be faithful with it, and so Matt developed it. He prayed, God, what do you want me to do with this? He, he sought advice from his mentor. What do you think the, the purpose of this is? He talked to his wife, smart man, right? Like, he made sure he checked in with her before he did anything, and, and, and then he was faithful to what God had for him. He developed that gift, and I'm not primarily talking to you today about finances. In fact, I wasn't even planning to go that route at all until I heard his story this morning. I was like, man, that's so perfect. Uh, but, but the gifts that God has placed you, the abilities that God has placed in you, they don't come fully formed. They don't come at their final destination. They come packed with potential. And potential is both an exciting word and it's a scary word. Because just like anointing comes with responsibility, potential comes with responsibility. In fact, not only does potential come with responsibility, I'll take it one step further. Potential comes with work. And work's a four-letter word, right? I know he's excited. I didn't get any amens. It got real quiet. Potential comes with work. Shh. Right? It comes with work. It means I got to do something to tap in to the potential of the gift that God has placed inside me. I got to. Slow down. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm fired up. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. We're going to start through this section. This is the last verse that we read uh, in the section last week. We, we actually skipped ahead and read one verse beyond this. But of the primary section we read, it was 13 was the last verse. And it says this, this is review. It says, so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, him being David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went on to Ramah. We talked about how just because God gives you a greater anointing doesn't necessarily God gives you a greater assignment. David got a great anointing, an increased anointing. He got a fresh touch from God that took him to a whole nother level in his giftings. And then he went out and what did he do? Went back to tending sheep. Had this awesome God moment, this exciting moment. You're called to be the king. You are chosen by God. Yes. Now I got to go clean up some sheep poop. Right? had this, this massive moment, and then it seemed like it was just an experience. It seemed like nothing had actually happened. Verse 14, now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. What a tragic statement. What a scary statement. Why had God's spirit departed from Saul? Because Saul had obeyed, disobeyed. He had rejected the voice of God. He had ignored the voice of God so long and so often and in such great ways. God said, my favor is no longer on you. My presence no longer goes with you. He removed his spirit. He removed his presence from Saul. And at that moment, Saul did not lose his throne. 
Saul went on to be king for another 40 years after this happened. But I believe in that moment, Saul lost his power. He still had the position, but he no longer had the power. Because the Holy Spirit had departed from him. And an evil spirit from the Lord came and tormented him. Now, this is a verse that makes a lot of confusion for Bible scholars. There's been a lot of debate about this, uh, and the rest of this passage is going to mention this evil spirit from the Lord a few times. How can God send an evil spirit? There's debate, and I settle on the side that says God didn't actually send an evil spirit. God just removed his protection from Saul, and and that allowed the evil spirit that was already wanted to get to him to get there. That, That Saul was moving in a direction away from God, and so God let him go, and when God let him go, he was joined on his journey. Regardless of your theology on this, regardless of what you personally believe that this happens to mean, what we know is it's not a good thing, right? It's not a place that we want to be. For the Spirit of God to depart from us in an evil spirit to come and begin to torment us. Verse 15, Saul's attendant said to him, see, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you and you will feel better. You ever had your mood changed by music? Man, you were fired up and all of a sudden that one depressing song came on and you were back in that moment when you got dumped and that person cheated on you and the dog died and, right, country music does that. Um, uh, or, or whatever that music, man, that, that you were having a bad day and that one song, your song came on and it made you think about the reason why you fell in love in the first place or, or whatever. Music is powerful. Don't ever underestimate the ability of music to affect your emotions. This is not just something that's happened in our modern culture. This is not just something that that happens uh, in in our day and age. This is something that's been around from the beginning. God understood this. And and even in scripture, we see it here recorded. It's not the only place, but one place where they understand the power of music. And so Saul's attendants say, look, I don't know what happened to you, but all of a sudden you were jacked up. You're angry, you're violent, and we're in trouble. So why don't we figure out a way to fix this? I think there was some selfish motive here. Like, they recognized that they were going to be the ones on the line. Like, you don't want to be around Darth Vader when he's mad, right? Like, that's what Saul was in that moment. So, so we got to figure out a way to fix this. Let's find a harpist. Verse 17, so Saul said to his ascendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. So they put out the job search. They put up the posting on Craigslist. One other Facebook page. Anybody know somebody that can play the harp? Started trying to find somebody who could come in. And, and actually, before they even got to that place, verse 18 happens. One of the servants answered, says, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. What's interesting here is they didn't even know David's name. They don't have to know who you are. People don't have to know you. They don't have to identify you in order for God to find you when he needs you. They had no clue who he was. They said, hey, he's a son of Jesse. I saw this guy one time out at the club, and, man, he could play a mean heart. We need to find him. We need to bring him in. He goes on to describe David a little more. He says, he's a brave man and a warrior. David wasn't a warrior yet. This was interesting about that. Somehow he, he saw something in David. He saw some potential in him. He says, he speaks well, and he is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son David who was with the sheep. That's the verse we saw last week where we saw that, that David was back with the sheep. He went from the sheep to the anointing, back to the sheep. He's doing something lowly, but God had a calling on his life. Verse 20, so Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son, David, to Saul. David came to Saul, and he entered his service. Saul liked him very much, 
and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Saul liked David very much. Verse 23, whenever the spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So where's Goliath? Giant's not in this passage. This is the end of, verse, of chapter 16. Goliath will find in the very next chapter, chapter 17. But, but before we get to this kid taking down this giant, before we get to this legendary moment that's going to catapult David to, to be a hero amongst his people, that's going to cause women to begin writing songs about how great David is, before we get to this thing, we need to discover the process that he's going through. You see, there's a story behind every glory. There's a background behind every blessing, and many times we can look at what somebody has, at what somebody's walking in, and we can desire that or envy that, and we don't realize what they had to go through to get there. So we want to see the steps that David went through to get to that place. And the time we have remaining today, I want to talk to you about four things that will emerge from our text that, that I believe will help us to understand this concept of growing in our gift, uh, four things about growing your gift. So ask your neighbor, are you growing your gift? You ever met somebody and gifting is just dripping off of them? I'm sweating again. I don't know how this happens. Uh, it's 30 degrees outside and I'm wet. It's disgusting. Uh, but, but have you ever had known somebody that like gifting is dripping off of them, like sweat, like everything that they do, it's like, man, it's just all over them. It's just coming out of their nostrils. It's everywhere. They're just that gifted, man. It, maybe it would be in an athletic context or a musical context or an artistic context or a leadership context or a communication context or humor. There's so many different giftings, but sometimes somebody emerges and they are just ridiculously gifted. But most of the time, we don't see the grit behind the gift. We see LeBron dunking all over somebody, being the greatest basketball player of his generation, but we don't see LeBron in the gym doing some squats. We don't see him on the squat rack. We don't see him doing push-ups. We don't do him, see him doing sit-ups. There's no glory in that. There's no excitement in that. There's no highlight reel on ESPN Sports Center for that. But as great and as gifted as LeBron is, and don't get me wrong, he's naturally gifted like, like beyond. Like, I could never be LeBron, no matter how many squats I did how many sit-ups I did, and how hard I worked. It was not in my genes to dunk. God decided, nope, not you. I'm going to give that to somebody else, right? So he had a natural gifting. There was something that God put in him that he couldn't put in himself. But at the same time, he's developed that gift to an incredible level. And so many times when, when we look at somebody who has a gift, I, I think we miss out on the story behind how they got there. I think that word actually is sometimes even deceiving because we think that a gift comes fully formed. We think that a gift shows up exactly ready to go, but when it comes to the gifts that God gives us, whether they be physical gifts or spiritual gifts or, or personality gifts, whatever those gifts are, they don't come fully formed. They come some assembly required. And what I want to help you to do today is to begin to assemble those gifts, to begin to grow in those gifts, to begin to, to walk in them. I want to be very, very honest with you as we study this backstory. Um, I've preached I don't know how many hundreds of sermons since God allowed me to begin doing this over 10 years ago. And in those hundreds of sermons, I can't remember one. Maybe there was one, but I cannot remember one 
that I was more scared to preach because I felt like I was not living up to it as much as this one. Sometimes you get scared to preach because it's like controversial and you know it's true, but people are going to get offended. You talk about homosexuality or you're going to talk about money or something like that. You know people are going to be upset. So you don't like having those conversations. This isn't one of those. I don't think there's any controversy in what I'm going to tell you today. My fear today is simply the mirror that's shining back at me and the recognition that, that I need this message as much as anybody in this room. I don't believe that I've done the job that God has called me to do to, to develop and to harness all the gifts that he's placed in me. And I, I recognize that as, as I've studied his word this week, I begin to see areas in my life that, that are falling short. And so uh, I, I want to be very clear that this is not me standing up on the mountaintop preaching down at the people. If it was possible today, I would preach this message on the carpet looking up at you. But I know that God's called me to preach. I know it's what God's laid on my heart to deliver, and I know that it's for me, and I believe it's for many others in this room as well. But it breaks my heart to recognize that, that many Christians, myself perhaps included, have been given a deposit from God and had something placed in us, and, and we have not been faithful to develop that to the degree that God has called us to. So I don't want to discourage you today. I don't want to attack you today. I don't want to put you down today. I do want to call you to God's best. Because God does not give us gifts for no reason. He gives us gifts because there's a world who needs to hear. There's a world that needs to be blessed. There's a world that needs to be touched and changed. And so as we get into this, we're going to have four words on growing our gift, four keys to growing your gift. And please understand everything in the context that, that I need this as much as anyone. Is that fair? Can you guys do that? You on board with me? Did I just lose you? You're like checked out? Like, nope, he doesn't know this himself. He's not doing this himself, so I don't want to hear it. Well, we're going to hear from God today. We're not going to hear from Troy. Is that cool? All right. First thing that we need to do to put this into practice in 2016 to grow in our gift, we need to walk in diligence. Diligence. How many hours did David have to practice his harp to be so good at it that when the king of Israel needed a harpist, he was the first person that popped into somebody's mind. And yes, we can super spiritualize this and what was his destiny and the Holy Spirit spoke to the servant and, and I get that and I agree. There is a God part of this without question. But if David sucked at the harp, do you think the servant would have been like, go get David? No, because that would have been the servant's head if he got the king a sorry good harp player, Right? Can we just be real? David developed his gift. David spent hour after hour lugging that harp out into an empty field full of sheep where there was no glory, there was no attention, there was no fame. Nobody noticed what he was doing. He's playing that harp until his fingers are rubbed raw, not knowing that that opportunity would ever come up that the king would need a harpist. But because he developed his gift so well, when the opportunity arose, God was able to position David for something he would need to fulfill his destiny because David had been faithful with the gift. He was diligent. He was diligent. God's people, I believe, need a greater dose of diligence. It's so easy to see gifts in full operation but not recognize the grind behind their development. If we don't develop the deposit that God has placed inside of us through diligence, we'll never experience the destiny that God has prepared for us. Diligence opens the door to our destiny. And David was diligent, and it paid off greatly for him. I remember when I was in Bible college, 
I decided I was going to learn to play guitar. I thought that worship leaders were the coolest people in the world. I still do. But I wanted to be one of them. I wanted that. I wanted that moment. I wanted that glory. I wanted that opportunity. I thought, man, what an awesome thing to be able to bring people into God's presence. And so my sophomore year in college, I signed up for a guitar class. And, and my dad bought me a guitar, got my acoustic guitar, and I was ready to go. I was going to learn to play guitar. It was going to be good. My dad played guitar. My brother played guitar. I'm from Seattle. I got like this, this Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain anointing on me in Jesus' name. I'm going to be a superstar, right? So I started taking this guitar class with all of these big dreams, taking over the world as a worship leader, and I start learning chords. And not only did we learn chords in class, but I'm actually supposed to go back to my dorm room and practice these chords for hours to be able to come back in the next week. And at this point in my life, in fact, my, my entire life, really, school had always come really easy for me. I wasn't somebody who had to study much. I wasn't somebody who had to work hard in school. I could show up and get an A, no problem. And I couldn't do that in guitar class. And I started to fall behind. I started to slip. And about a month in, other people were really getting it, and I wasn't getting it. And I dropped the class before I failed, sold my guitar, and that was the end of me as worship leader. Why? Because while I desired the gift, I did not develop the grit and the grind to develop the gift. And so it's still easy to look at somebody in their position and say, man, I wish I was gifted like that. I wish I had what they had, but we don't know the story behind how they got there. David had incredible opportunities, but don't mistake for a second, David worked hard to get to the place where he was at. He was diligent and faithful with his gift. Gifts come in all different pieces. You open a gift and it doesn't look like a bicycle. It opens like a bunch of metal, some nuts and some bolts and maybe an instruction manual. And you're going to have to take some time and some work and some elbow grease to develop and harness that gift to the place that God has given it to you and called for you for you to have it. God has anointed you, we discovered last week. That's the deposit. God's placed something in you. He's put a gift in you. But he asked us to do something with it. 2 Timothy 1.14 says this. says, guard. Everybody say guard. Guard the good deposit. It's not a bad deposit. It's not a weak deposit. I mean, let me stop right here. I didn't preach this in first service, but I feel like God just said this. Somebody needs to hear this. The deposit in you is a good deposit. God does not make bad deposits. God does not make weak deposits. And maybe you're spending time, maybe there's somebody here who feels like you're looking around and, man, the, the anoint, I just don't have it. I just don't have much gifting. I don't have much to offer. God hasn't done much in me. I don't know why he's done stuff in other people, but I don't have it. Quit lying to yourself. God's word says that there is a good deposit in you. And you may not have found it yet. You may not have dug deep enough to get there yet. It may not have activated in you yet. But there is a good deposit in you. God's got something good in you that this world needs. He says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. God trusted you with it. God believes in you. He wouldn't have placed it there if he didn't believe that you had the ability to accomplish something with it. He says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Don't get me wrong. There's a God part to this, 100%, that God is doing something. God has to do something. I'm not saying that everything is on you or that it primarily depends on you, but if we do not participate, if we do not agree with him, if we do not work with him, he's going to work with somebody who will. He's going to use somebody who will. You've got a gift. You didn't earn it. You may not even know why you're good at it. You might always wonder, why, why do people think that I'm funny? 
Why do people always come to me with their problems? Why do I love opening up my home? Man, why do I love being hospitable? And that gift is something that God's placed in you, but it still comes with work. You still got to make yourself available when people come to you with their problems. You still got to throw something in the oven if you're going to be hospitable. You still got to get out the mop and the broom and have the house ready for people to come over. The gift always comes with some assembly required. Are you growing in your gift? Are you diligent in your gifts? Or have you become stagnant? Did you read anything this past year in the area that God has gifted you and the thing that he has called you towards that's going to make you better? Did you find anybody and sit down with anybody this year who's further along in that area and say, teach me how you do it? Talk me through how you think. I need to be a better husband, and I see the way that you are with your wife. Teach me. I need to be a better mom, and I see the way that you are with your kids. Show me. I want to use this gift. I want to use this opportunity that God's given me, and you're further ahead. Are we doing anything to develop our gifts, or are we just simply showing up? God wants us to do something with the things that he's given us. Verse 16 says, let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play. Doesn't say someone who can pray. David's love for God is important, but it's not important to this servant in this moment. It's not important to Saul in this moment. Verse 17, so Saul said to his attendants, find someone who plays well, not someone who prays well. And bring him to me. I'm not saying that your ability to pray is not important. I'm not saying that the time you spend with God doesn't matter. But, but the things that we do with the gifts that we have are going to make a difference as well. Verse 18, part B, we see them listing David's attributes. And yes, David being after a man after God's own heart was the most important thing about him. But it wasn't the thing that everybody saw about him. Look what he says. It says, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. It's the la- it was an afterthought on the list of things that David had. I'm not saying that your spirituality doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong. It matters. It's what put David in this position. It's why God placed him there. But outwardly, we've got to be diligent in the things that we have, and it's going to open opportunities for us. The second word I want you to write down today after diligence is excellence. Excellence. David was excellent at what he did. How are we going to grow in our gifts? We need to maximize our potential. We need to begin to pursue excellence. Excellence, we define it around here with a very simple statement. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. We always need to pursue excellence. Excellence is not perfection. Perfection is birthed out of competition. I want to be perfect. I want to get 100, and somebody else gets a 98, right? Like, like I want to be ahead of them. I was that kid uh, in school sometimes where we compare scores. I didn't study for it, but I still wanted to have the highest score. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a perfectionist uh, element. Excellence isn't perfection. Excellence isn't comparing myself to anybody but me. Excellence is comparing me to my potential. What is the potential that God has placed in me? What is the opportunity God has given me, and have I done the best that I possibly can with it are you pursuing excellence we've got a long ways to go i believe when it comes to maximizing our potential but we need to get there you desire to get there are you content where you're at i hope today if nothing else i can stir you up some stir up some holy discontentment in god's house some holy discomfort that we would not be comfortable lacking fulfilling our potential that we would not be comfortable in mediocrity You know what what mediocre means? 
Uh, mediocre means halfway up the stony mountain. That's the, the literal definition of mediocre. What it means is, is you got halfway there and you settled. Man, I want to pursue the top. I want to pursue the best that God has for me. I want to pursue the top of my giftings and the top of my ability. And God is calling me to begin to pursue excellence. I believe he's calling all of us for that. Many times we make excuses. Oh, well, my heart's in the right place. It's, as long as my heart's in the right place, it doesn't matter what, what's going on around me. But I don't think that's true. Psalm 90 verse 17 says this. says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. It's passive, right? That's, I can't make God's favor rest on me. Only God can do that. I don't have a part in that. God's just asking. That's all I can do. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. That's his part. But then check this. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes. Establish the work. Everybody say work. Ugh, four-letter word, right? We hate it. Establish the work of our hands. Let us be excellent. Romans 13, 19 says, not Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent at what is good. Be innocent of evil. We're called to be excellent. I've always loved this quote. I haven't used it in a sermon. Well, I did first service. But before first service, I hadn't used this since like 2008. But it's Martin Luther King Jr. He says this. He says, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. I don't know if we have any street sweepers in the house. We got some cable guys. We got some accountants. We got some people who work in restaurants. We've got some salespeople. We've got some factory workers. We've got so many professions here. We got some nurses. Half a city church said amen. Uh, we, we got so many industries represented here, right? Uh, and whatever it is, most of you will probably never be a pastor. Most of you will probably never be a worship leader. But that doesn't mean God hasn't called you to excellence. That doesn't mean that your work doesn't bring glory to God when you do it well. I love the way that, that King says this. He says, if you're called to be a street sweeper or sweep streets like Michelangelo painted. Michelangelo didn't make any mediocre paintings. Sweep those streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. In other words, do the very best you possibly can. Here's what I think about excellence. I think that excellence brings glory to God. Because I think that when, when people see excellence, the people, number one, people are attracted to excellence. Like, like if you go to a restaurant and the place is dirty and it's dingy and, and nobody, the server doesn't come to you for the first five minutes, you hate that place, right? Like you're talking bad about it. You're on Twitter blowing up their feed. Like you're complaining. You're trying to get a, a deal. Like we, we notice when things are not up to our expectations very quickly. And I think that the world needs to see some excellence. I think if God's people walked in excellence, people would be very attracted to what we have. Now, now not excellence uh, in, in a harsh way, not in a prideful way, but, but in a way that says, man, you know what? God's given me an opportunity. I'm going to do the very best that I can with it. Third word I want you to write down is uniqueness. Uniqueness. Verse 18, one of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem, blah, blah, blah. Then he goes on to say, who knows how to play the harp? So number one, he knows how to play the harp. And then he says, here is a brave man and a warrior. Harpist, warrior. Ever grow up watching Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. One of these, th right? Like, how many harpist warriors do you know? 
Uh, like, like you can't imagine the, the Philistines are getting ready to invade Israel. And one of the generals comes up to Goliath, and he's like, Goliath, do you think we're ready to go in and to conquer this nation? And Goliath says, no, they've got the baddest harpist in all the land. Right? You don't think harpist and warrior. These things don't seem like they go together. David was a walking contradiction. And yet it was the, 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 the convergence of these two seemingly separate, seemingly uh, disjointed, seemingly disconnected things in David that God was able to use him. And I think the same thing is true in you. I think you got some things, some gifts, some abilities, some passions that don't make sense together. Right? Like if people looked at your list, they're like, how do you get into these two things? How is this even possible that you like this and this? It doesn't make sense, but it's at that point that, that you come together in your uniqueness that God is able to use you. See, your collection of gifts is not the same as my collection of gifts. And that's a good thing. Because God doesn't need two of me. He doesn't need two of you. He only made one, but he made that one for a very important reason. He made you unique. He made you with a whole collection of skills and talents and gifts and passions and experiences and knowledge. And it's unlike anybody else's package. And God needs that package to do something to bring glory to Jesus in this world. It was a David's point of uniqueness that God's opportunity opened up for him. We're tracking David's trajectory, trying to see how God got him ready for the things that he was anointed to do. And we see at this point this convergence where two abilities that, that make no sense together come together and open doors for David. The reason I believe that David had the courage to ask Saul, skipping ahead to chapter 17, he's going to go before the king and he's going to say, hey, let me go out and, and take this giant out. This guy who's blaspheming our God, this guy who's speaking against our country. I don't know why nobody else is brave enough to do it, but let me go do it. You know why David even had an audience with Saul? Not because David was a warrior. David had an audience with Saul because he was Saul's harpist. Saul on the battlefield is not letting any 16-year-old punk kid walk into his tent and make a plea before him who's not part of his army. In fact, he's not letting anybody come up and do that. Why did David have the opportunity to speak to Saul? Because Saul and David had a relationship. Why did Saul and David have a relationship? Because David had been diligent with his harp. It was his uniqueness that opened the door for him to go out and slay the giant. And see, God's going to give you what you need for the opportunity you have. If you need a harp, God will give you a harp. If you need a sling, you'll, you'll, he'll give you a sling. David could not put Saul, calm Saul's mood with a sling. So he used a harp, but you know what? He couldn't put Goliath to sleep with a, a harp. He needed a sling. And so the two seemingly disjointed things come together. When I moved to Oklahoma, uh, I had some friends, and, and we were interns at a church called Church on the Move. And while we were there, uh, many times we would go to Wendy's for lunch. And when we went to Wendy's, they, they introduced me to something that you may be aware of here in the South. I don't know if you are. I'd never seen this before. But they were like, you've got to try this. Order a Frosty and some French fries. Anybody ever done this? Go ahead and put that picture up for us. Anybody ever dipped your fries in a Frosty? You're disgusting. <laughs> Those things don't go together. Those are not meant to be together. Ice cream and potatoes. It's an abomination before God. It's in Leviticus somewhere, I promise. 
Okay, that's not true. But it should be. It's not going to be in heaven, right? Why would anybody ever dip their French fry in ice cream? It's not of God. And some of you are on the Daniel fast, and you're like, why are you doing this to me? I, let me just say this. I did not go buy a Frosty and French fries. I actually Googled this, and you'd be amazed how many hits there is on Google. There's like a whole cult of people who are walking in this abomination before God. Pray for them. But, but here's what I think, as, as much fun as I'm having with this. I think that, you know what, God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And sometimes God says, you know what, I like a Frosty with my French fry. I like some things that don't seem like they go together. That's why I made you the way that I did. Because I didn't need a whole bunch of carbon copies. I needed somebody different and unique. And I needed somebody that the world might even think is weird if you actually allowed people to see who you really are. And I'm not worried about it if you're weird. Because it's your weirdness that's going to open the door for your greatest opportunities. And you already know that you're weird, so I don't need to go on this point any longer. Everybody in this room knows deep down inside, you've been fighting it your whole life trying to look normal. Your whole life, you've been trying to convince everybody you're like everybody else. And the truth is, nobody's like everybody else. There is no everybody else. We're all weird. Even if you eat French fries with your frost. I'll pray for you. Last word for you today. As we get ready to wrap up, the last thought on this idea of growing your gift. You need to have diligence. We need to walk in excellence. You need to realize and embrace your uniqueness. And lastly, God's going to pull on and use your experience. He's going to use your experiences. Verse 21 says, David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. That's an interesting statement right there. It said that Saul liked him very much. You know, the rest of the story, that didn't last very long. Because David's going to go kill this giant, and people are going to start singing songs about David, and David's going to get more fame and more glory than Saul, and Saul's going to get very jealous. And David's going to be in playing his harp trying to soothe Saul's temper tantrum, and Saul's going to grab a spear and throw it at David's head. And for decades, Saul is going to pursue David and try to kill David. For decades, David is going to be a fugitive in his own country, not for anything he did wrong, but for everything he did right. See, sometimes your weirdness, when you actually walk in it, isn't just going to be celebrated and applauded. Sometimes it's going to be persecuted. Sometimes it's going to bring some conflict. That doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong. It might mean you did something right. But it was all of his experiences that worked together to one day make David the greatest king that Israel ever saw. And the Bible doesn't tell me this, but I think it's a very natural inference for us to make. I think one of the reasons why David was such a great king is because when he was a teenager, he was in the palace and he got to watch a king firsthand. And he got to see Saul's mistakes firsthand and I wonder how many times while David was on the run while David was hiding in a cave while David had to move to another country to be safe from his king I wonder how many times he's like man if I would have just never showed up in that palace if I would have just never had to play the harp for the king maybe I could have just lived a normal life maybe I could have had an easy life maybe I would have never had to go through all of this but David didn't realize that none of his experiences were wasted that none of the stuff that he went through, none of the tragedy he faced, none of the, the things that he went through were wasted. That whether God caused them all or not, God was going to work in all of them. And that's why Romans says that God works together. God works all things together. 
He worked his experiences together. He worked his time as a harpist together. He worked his time with the sheep together. He worked his time as a warrior together. He worked his time on the run together. He worked his time with his wife together. He worked all that stuff together, and it added up to the greatest king that Israel ever had. Sometimes I look at my wife. My wife's in Pennsylvania right now, and she gets back on Wednesday, but, but she's up there with her friends and her family, and, and sometimes I look at her life, and sometimes I get a little jealous because my wife lived in, in the same town her whole life until she was 18. Uh, she went back there multiple times since then. She's got friends. Literally, she's got a friend that she's had since she was like nine months old, one of her bridesmaids. Uh, she's got another bridesmaid who, who she's been friends with since first grade. She, she's got multiple friends who have literally been lifelong friends, people that she has these incredible experiences with. Sometimes I look at her life and and I get jealous because that hasn't been my life. Uh, I lived in Seattle, Washington until I was 15, but I was homeschooled and we were church hoppers. So I didn't know anybody for very long, like with three or four years max. And then we'd move on and I have a whole new circle of friends. And this was before Facebook or before texting or before any way to keep in touch with somebody. Man, when they were out of my life, they were out of my life. And now a whole new group. And I don't have anybody that I've been lifelong friends with. I don't have anybody that I can pull on those types of experiences with. And so sometimes I look at her and I'm like, man, how cool is that? How awesome is that, that, that you can go back for, for a couple of weeks after Christmas and you can connect with these people that, that you went to freaking kindergarten with? Like, that's so cool. And I'm so grateful for her that she has that. But you know that I wouldn't be who I am if I had that experience. God had me in Seattle jumping around from church to church with my parents to teach me some things. I, that's where I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's where I got excited about God for the very first time. We moved to North Carolina, and, and we plugged in at a new church, and that's where I really learned to worship. That's where I learned how significant it was to, to go before God, not just in a church service, but one-on-one -on -one and began to develop some personal, intimate time with my Lord. Then I went to college in Georgia, and that's where I learned that, that it didn't matter the style of the music, that worship was about God, and whether it was an old-school style or a new style or, or a white style or a black style. It didn't matter the style. What it mattered was who was being worshipped. And then he took me to Oklahoma, and I interned for a church and got on staff with this church named Church on the Move. And that's where I, I first discovered this concept of excellence. And it's been a long road, and I got a long way to go, but that's where God first began to stir that in me. That's where he first began to teach me about youth ministry, and I interned in the youth department. And the youth pastor that I was was entirely because of my experiences at 180, and everything I did is stuff that I learned out there. And because I was the youth pastor is why I got the opportunity to be the pastor here. And I sat under Pastor Jason, and I learned things from him. And sat under Pastor Ricky, and I learned things from him. And we could go back to my time at Church on the Move. I had four different bosses in three years. You didn't want to work for me or work above me because if you worked above me, you were probably going to get fired. It was a terrible time, and I was like, what is going on, God? How come these guys keep getting tossed? But I learned something different from each of them. They each had different styles and different things they were passionate about and different things they were good at. And all of those experiences stacked on top of each other to make me who I am today. And I can look at somebody else's experience and say, man, I wish I had that. I wish I had that opportunity. I wish my life had worked out the way your life had worked out. But guess what? My life wasn't supposed to work out the way your life worked out. And your life's not supposed to work out the way my life worked out. God's given your experiences for a reason. And it might have taken David 40 years before he realized why he had that experience in the palace.
It might have taken him four decades before it started to make sense. That's why I had to go through this. That's why God had to put me here. That's why I served for a psycho demonic king who threw a spear at my face. Duh, now I get it. 40 years of questioning. 40 years, God, why? And then it made sense. And you see, sometimes I think we run from our experiences or we hide our experiences or we despise our experiences. But those very experiences are the things that God's trying to stack up to position you to walk and to grow the gift that he has for you that you can accomplish all that he's anointed you to accomplish. See, God's given us an opportunity to be diligent, a calling to be excellent. He's placed in you a uniqueness, and he's given you some experiences that are unlike anybody else's because he's got something for you to do. So my question for you as we wrap up this message today, are you going to grow your gift? Are you going to grow it? Are you going to allow God to work in you and through you? Are you going to team up with him and be diligent and excellent and see your gift maximized? Because if you do, there's no limit to what God can do in you. God can do amazing things through someone who's diligent and excellent, who's unique and who allows their experiences to prepare them for what he has. Amen? Say this with me. Say, I will grow my gift. Say, God wants me to grow my gift. I can grow my gift, and I will grow my gift. In Jesus' name, amen.